Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Not Drinking Poison podcast. My name is Aaron Aiskoff. Uh, I'm here today in the Aude, which is a, a region in Languedoc. Uh, I'm here with my friend Pierre Jean Coup, a noted uh, restaurateur who was for a long time based in Paris, but who is now here in the town of Paderne. And uh, thank you for thank you for meeting with and talking, chatting with us today. Thank you. My pleasure to welcome you here in Paderne. <laughs> Now, the, as, uh, if you've listened to the first three episodes of this podcast, uh, you, you may know that the, the title of the first, uh, this first season, if you want to call it that, is Paris Natural Wine Lifers. Uh, and uh, we're trying to, trying to kind of trace a little bit of the evolution of natural wine uh, throughout, uh, throughout the 2000s and the 2010s, uh, talking to people who largely helped initiate uh, this, this global phenomenon uh, that uh, the subject now is. And uh, uh, the, other, the other folks that we've spoken to did pass almost their entire careers in Paris, if not their entire careers. Uh, Pierre is a, a notable exception in that he did get out after a very, very long <laughs> career in Paris. Um, if it's not too embarrassing, Pierre, I'll summarize your, 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 your long, long career in Paris just now. But uh, if, please correct me if I get the dates wrong, because it's hard to, sure. it's hard to remember them all. But uh, I believe you started at La Boca, uh, in 1991, and that was near Etienne Marcel area? Where was that? That was Etienne Marcel, Etienne Marcel. Uh, La Boca, but before that I worked three years at the Bandouche. Where was the Bandouche? The nightlife, it was the best discotheque in Paris oh, at the really? time. So I, I, they weren't serving any natural wine? I had the, no, no, <laughs> no, but I had the chance to live the last uh, uh, glorious years of, of nightclubbing in Paris. And then thanks then to that stopped. work, I opened La Boca. Excellent. And then you, and then after La Boca, you opened uh, La Cremerie, and that was 2001. Yes. And La Cremerie still exists, for those of you who want to visit it. It's still a beautiful jewel of, uh, of Paris restaurateurism. And uh, then you opened... After, after that, it was Racine in 2007. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, Racine in the Passage des Panoramas, Panoramas which uh, went on to have a, a, a huge influence. And then after Racine, it was Vivant. Yes. In 2011? Yes, that's right. Which then became Vivante Cave and Table in 2012. Mm -hmm. And after that it was Heimat in 2015. Yeah. And then Achille with our friend Svante. Yes. Uh, Forstorp in uh, 2016. And Ricardo. And Ricardo. Yeah, our, we and our friend the, Ricardo. We were the three, the three souls of The three musketeers of Achille. Of Achille. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then... When did you decide to quit Restauration in Paris? Well, I had a, a nice career in Paris, and uh, I, I guess Achille was the end of my career in Paris because I had a terrible accident, and I was fed up with the city. And the, the, the accident that inspired the name Achille, right? Yes. That was that uh, foot accident. Yes, exactly. Okay. I broke my, my, my heel. Mm -hmm. in a thousand pieces. And that was during the, the works on the restaurant? Exactly. Yeah. And then Svante came to help me and he found out the name. Yeah. Even though I didn't break the Talon d'Achille, yeah. we, we thought it was nice and funny, so we called it Achille. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, it was uh, nice. It was, as usual, a very nice creation. But uh, I was fed up. I had lots of problems with the neighbors there. And uh, it became really uh, complicated for me, and I decided to leave Paris for good mm -hmm. and uh, go to where I had a house in the Drôme. Yes, and that was in D, right? Yes, near yeah. D. So the town of D, which uh, for the non-French speakers, it's spelled die, like the verb, D-I-E. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> when yes. you get to the railway station, it's yes, die. It just says die. Welcome yeah. to die. It really makes you want to get off the train. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Besides the abundant <coughs> natural wines in the area. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> finally moving. Really? I did my, my course there to become a tiny winemaker in the you CFPPA. Studied in, really? Okay. Yeah, in the COVID time. Okay, Ouvrier wow. viticole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was in, in, the, in, the, in the town of D? It was in the town of D. Okay, yeah. So I, I met all the people there and it's starting to move there finally. Finally, you have uh, three, four natural winemakers, mm -hmm. growers now, young people that established there. And that yes. are starting to do Obviously, good. You, you know, you know the, the, the region better than I do, but I would just to summarize for people who might not be familiar with the, the winemaking around that area, it's essentially 
sweet, filtered, heavily sulfited <laughs> uh, muscat. Am I right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, terrible, sparkling terrible muscat. Terrible yeah, yeah. Yes. It's, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's it's one of those appellations that kind of came of age after the generalization of st sterile <laughs> filtration. Yes. 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 Yeah. And it's an uh, appellation that is uh, slowly dying because. Uh, Uh, 20 years ago, you, one acre was quite expensive to buy, and now it's really way cheaper hmm. because the appellation has a lot of problems now to sell their wines. Yeah, uh, it was considered really like the cheapest apéro, bubbly wine, yeah. and it was really easy to sell in China and and America mm -hmm. and and Europe. And now they have big anything. problems, big problems to to yeah. sell these wines. <laughs> um. Oh, and what you're hearing there in the background is a, is a neighborhood dog. Because I should, I should just to give you a little scene setting here, we are sat underneath some beautiful old olive trees, uh, at some picnic tables, uh, in a little uh, public park it seems, uh, which is across a ravine, a dry riverbed from Pierre's new project, which he'll he'll tell you about in a few moments. But uh, um, so you left Paris, yeah. Um, you left Paris. You went to D. Uh, COVID, uh, was it was it quite different? Uh, selling natural wine in D than it was in the 10th arrondissement de Paris? Oh yes, it was completely different. For, for uh, many years in Paris, it was, uh, it was uh, fantastic to sell natural wines to, to, to the crowd in Paris because it is so international in Paris. You have so many people from all over the world and, and you can really have fun in, in, in taking care of a wine cellar in Paris in a fancy restaurant and, and making people discover and, and I think my role at the time was to pass on the natural wine love to many, many, many people, many young people, old, elder people. Myself, uh, myself included. Thank you. No, no, longer, no longer young now, obviously. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. the first time we met, you were not so, so into natural. Not so I, much. Yeah, I, I, you were like I, many people I, I, like I me in the beginning. Yeah. 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 But anyways, and then coming, going to the nature, going to the real nature and to the, the tiny village uh, is completely something else. So you had the bottles of Aurelien Lefort at uh, five euros a glass at the bar. Yeah. Uh, and people were skeptical, probably. <laughs> no, no, because uh, because I kept it enough so that it became good and it was ready to drink. Mm -hmm. So I think our role as a wine seller is to keep the wine and sell it at the right moment. Mm -hmm. This is really important. So I always try the to traditional do so. role of the caviste of the exactly. yeah, of the of the wine retailer. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then so when did you leave D? So I um, after the COVID, uh, the Café des Les Alpes was a bit complicated for me because I was not very much accepted in the village mm -hmm. by the community, by the, the by the mayor. So because you weren't you weren't selling filtered uh, exactly. filtered sweet sparkling. Yeah, <laughs> and I was not accepting to do meals for them for 25 five uh, uh, chasseurs mm -hmm. hunters, and I, I said no to that. So they yeah. they didn't like me so much. You so can't piss off the hunters. They're, they're armed. <laughs> yeah, we have hunters here too, but it's, yeah. they didn't ask for that, yeah. and we, we have a much better relation. Okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why, not only why, but I was also always inspired by Les Corbières mm -hmm. and by this terroir, yeah. and also the fact that Fabrice is here, that the cafe was for sale. And that is uh, Fabrice Monan of uh, La Masière. Exactly. Uh, so, and do, so when did you first meet um, uh, Fabrice? So La Masière and uh, Fabrice Monan, just for to. to bring everybody up to speed in case they don't know. Um, uh, Fabrice Monan is a winemaker, but uh, with a, a, lot of, uh, very, a lot of experience uh, in the natural wine scene all throughout France. Uh, he worked for the Vervolet, he worked for Robineau, he also for a long time had Les Anzans du Vin in Besançon. And uh, it was only in 2015, I believe, that he fully moved out here, is that right? That's um, right. To take over a, another legendary estate, uh, uh, that of Jean-Michel Labouig, who, who had died. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So he was also one of the, one of my generation in France pushing natural wines, but he was far east in Besançon and I was in Paris, but we made the same, we had the same job and yeah. we met because of that. How is his English? Maybe I should do a podcast with him too. I think his English is, is okay. It's probably pretty good. Actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's okay. Yeah. And he's also a very good musician, so he could play a little song in the piano. Ah, 
Yeah. Okay. Some blues. Next episode just writes itself. Yeah. Um, but uh, and so when did you first meet uh, Fabrice? It was, I think, when he came to see me at Racine. Uh, so it was 2007. Mm -hmm. So he would have been already in Besançon at the time. Yes. Yeah. He opened uh, in Besançon in 2002. Okay. Or something like that. Mm -hmm. The Zazin du Vin, a tiny place with Momoko, his wife. She's Japanese. She's a fantastic cook. Mm -hmm. And they have a fantastic daughter called Nao, and she's a great human. Yeah. And uh, as it is, are you here with your family as well? Do they, do they come visit you here? Or is it? No, my children are big now. So yeah. <laughs> my big daughter, she's 27. She's oh, in nice. Amsterdam. Really? Yeah. And the little ones, uh, Louise, she's uh, almost 17. Wow. So they're off doing their own thing now. Yeah. 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 And it is, it is, it is remote, Padron. You know, when, so how would you translate terroir de vertige? Uh, <laughs> is it like vertigo terroir? <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's ridiculous because I'm originally Swiss. So yeah. for me, it's not so True. high. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like it's, ridiculously down. Yeah. So this, the, um, I, I was making a... Oh yeah. A reference to a, some signage that you see as one enters this general area, you see signs that say terroir de vertige. So it's very vertiginous, very precipitous, uh, steep terroir. But uh, of course, Pierre, being being Swiss Italian, Swiss Italian? No, that? Swiss German. Swiss German. Oh, okay. grown up with Italian. I see. I see. I assumed it was Swiss Italian just because you you know you're always speaking Italian, going to Italy. Uh, and uh, yeah, so but it's definitely steeper in Switzerland, in many parts of Switzerland. <coughs> clearly, yeah, clearly. If you go and see Cherouche, for example, yeah and he doesn't even write it on his bottle but it's like really high yeah some vines are like 1000 meters if i yeah. don't mistake and here like uh, what's the what are, you know the vineyards the village is 240 240 meters yeah and uh, maybe the vines of fabrice are 400 mm -hmm. and, and what is the population here uh, the population registered is about 130 people living here all did year you check long. that this season or is it, <laughs> does no. it fluctuate <laughs> no but we are less here we, i think we're about 80 yeah. 80 people living here full yeah. time very peaceful i love it because it's peaceful because it's nature because the wine terroir is amazing and what i love here is the proximity with catalan region mm. because i'm very italian culturally yeah i did my school in italy and all my life i lived with italians mm -hmm. so i'm completely fluent in it in italian and I, I have the same feeling with the Catalans here mm -hmm. going in their country. I really love discovering this country. It's interesting. There's, there's so much more cultural exchange, I feel like, between this border towards Catalonia from France than there is around, like, you know, the Monaco area. You know, like, there, you know, like, the out, like, between, like, between France and Liguria, you know, really, it's just like, there's all, like, the cultural exchange is really minimal, it feels yeah. like. Where, whereas here, like, I mean, you know, the food scene in Perpignan is so, is so, flourishing and interesting and, uh, and there's, there seems to be so much cultural exchange. It is moving yeah. a lot in Perpignan, like with yeah. Baston Pizza I told you, also Sagi mm -hmm. is very nice for lunch. And uh, yeah, Perpignan is also interesting. Narbonne is mm -hmm. uh, really near and it's interesting. Toulouse is not far, etc. and so on. We may be skipping ahead though because we, we forgot to, get, I think, touch on the point where when you actually came here. That was in 2022? Yeah, I came here Quite last recent. January. I mean, Almost in January, yeah. it will be two years. So we're nearing the end of the, your second season of Café des Sports. Yeah. Which is the name of your restaurant here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was initially already called Sac Café des Sports. You didn't come up with that one. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I kept the name for the moment. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and um, what, what, like, how, how long were you thinking about that? I mean, of, of coming out here? I mean, did it, was it just a kind of like a beautiful old cafe was available and you just jumped on it or was it uh... it's a bit that it's uh, i was uh, i was looking on the internet i was supposed to to establish in to stay in the drome and go to bui les baroni mm -hmm. you know uh, it's near Nyons. okay don't know where uh, our friend from chambre noire is now doing oh uh, remy remy yeah, exactly yeah. so i was i was thinking of going there because mm -hmm. it was near my daughter that is still there yeah. and my project was that, and on the internet, I, I was attired by a photo of the Café des Sports for sale. Mm -hmm. And I remembered a business card that more than 10 years ago, some friend of mine who's doing cider, Julien Frémont, mm -hmm. sent me because he was the owner of Café des Sports before me. Okay. And I called him and I said, listen, I saw that on the internet. And he said, yeah, my café is for sale. 
Wait, Julian Fremont was not the owner of Café des Sports? Yes. Oh, the cider producer was the owner of the Café des Sports in Padern? Yes, sir. That is so weird. Yeah. How, well, you wouldn't think to associate these two... <laughs> because he fell in love with Catherine Marin-Pestel. I don't know who that is. Who was a winemaker here okay. in Padern. Okay. Woman winemaker. Yes, and I assume from the name. He fell in love with her. Yeah. And he fell in love with the cafe, and he bought it from Janine, okay. who owned it for 52 years. Okay. And so how long did Julian own it? Ten years. Ago. Oh, okay. Still, it's a fair amount. Yeah. But I didn't even realize, that, didn't, that never came up in conversation with Fabrice when I was here, that, uh, that, the, that the cafe nearby was owned by a well-known cider producer. Yeah. Go yeah. figure. Yeah. And then he, he sold it to me, and uh, I did a lot of works, yeah. and, uh, and started last year Fantastic. for the summer season. And uh, if, uh, just because I don't want the bottle to get warm, I, I, <laughs> I, I hear you're also making wine. <laughs> yeah, I started because of that. Uh, it's my dream, like yeah. many people, working in the wine industry since so many years. So, yeah, as I said, I did that school in, uh, in D. And then I arrived here and worked a bit with Fabrice. And then I found some vines to buy and to mm -hmm. rent. And uh, I just showed you the little cellar where yes. I'm going to vinificate this year. And last year I started with a tiny, tiny amount, only 250 bottles. Mm -hmm. And it's a Carignan with a drop of Syrah. Wow, amazing. Wow. wow. Well, I'm honored to taste it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so where did you make this? In the Café des Sports. Yeah. That is why it's called the Cuvée Café des Sports. Okay. The label is so the, so the tank was in the cafe. Everything the press was, was in the, cafe. the press was in the window. There, I yes. I okay. Everything was made in the cafe. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, and then just before I opened in May, mm -hmm. I put it in the bottle, and I put it in the cellar. Fantastic. So it's the wine made in the cafe from A to Z. Excellent. Even bottled in the cafe. And uh, these are vines that you're renting, you said, or, or, or that you yes. own both? This is an old Carignan that mm -hmm. is in the gardens. Okay. It's 30 ar, 30 mm -hmm. ar, so yeah. 3,000 square meters. Yeah. And it's all mixed, but mm -hmm. mainly Carignan. Yeah, cool. And I did a direct press of that because the wild uh, pigs and the birds were eating everything, mm -hmm. uh, quite young. Yeah. And then uh, I, I put inside some very mature some more mature Syrah mm -hmm. from Sébastien Ajolet okay. that I bought from him okay. and all uh, égrappé okay. and I put inside and I left maybe for one month okay, to macerate a trompette oh, okay, but, but then I pressed never, everything okay, yeah. and then I put in the damjan. But, but a destemmed kind of trompette? Everything destemmed. Okay, yes. And why, why destemmed? Uh, because I always like uh, de-steaming a lot, mixing really? with, uh, yes. Interesting. I was always in love with Aurelien Lefort wines, for example. But he doesn't de-stem much, does he? Oh, yes, oh, really? almost everything. Oh, good figure. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. I think in this, especially in this region where you have so much uh, maturity, so much power in the wine and so much alcohol, I think that's at least for the moment what I will try to do. Mm. And this is, uh, the label says 13 degrees, mm -hmm. so it means it's 13.5? I think it's 13, yeah. but it's no, approximately. It 13, yeah. And is it exactly. aged in a steel tank, or, is it, or, or is it, was it in a steel tank, or, or fiberglass It was tank? in a steel tank, yeah. iron. Yeah, iron. No, uh, on inox. Yeah, inox, yeah, yeah. yeah. Inox, yeah, Stain, Stainless, yeah. Stainless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, beautiful. Sorry for my English. Your English is fantastic. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a high watermark for the Not Drinking Poison podcast already. <laughs> um, How was Michel Moulras' English? Oh, he's got the most adorable English ever. Uh, you, you, sure. you haven't listened to the episode, Pierre? No, no I'm sorry. <laughs> I will, I swear. Now that your season's season, over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will. You can listen to my season. <laughs> and so you bottled this May. So, okay, so... Yeah, it's, it's dry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's tiny, 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 tiny bit of sugar, but not much. The souris went away slowly. Yeah, it gets souris at all. And had you done any? Had you done any little kind of micro cuvées before this, or is this your, really your first wine? I did one in 2014 mm -hmm. uh, with a friend of mine in D, and uh, that's it. 
And how many bottles was that? Even less. It was maybe 100 and something. Nice. Yeah. And this, is, this was 250. It's huge. Huge. Yeah. You're like Gerard Bertrand or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's in the region. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, now, and this year, I don't know, but uh, a few thousand, maybe 2,000 bottles, yeah. because I have a lot of loss. Mm -hmm. Because of... Uh, some disease and uh, one one of my little vines was completely destroyed by by the wild pigs mm -hmm. so yeah you, you, you mentioned that, uh, that wildlife uh, yeah. losses are, are huge here yeah 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 um, and it's I mean it's it's definitely a much more savage area of the Languedoc than, than what you see like in the plains around Bézier or uh, even any, anywhere in the lowlands kind of area I mean here it's it's really where you know where the vine you know Often, I guess, often when we talk about the history of Languedoc viticulture, we talk about with the advent of railroads and mechanization, the vines came out of the hills and they went into the plains. And this is the hills. This is where they yeah, came out yeah. of. <laughs> I think the best example I talked with about the Languedoc was Alain Castex. Mm. He was coming a lot to see me uh, since I came. Mm -hmm. And uh, because his parents are great right upstairs in Dernacoyette. Well, yeah, in he, he, began it. he began in Corbière. He began here in the yeah. Caf Cooperative. No way. And I took over this the one. vine right next to the Caf Cooperative. Really? I had no idea it was that yeah. close. And what are then, the odds? And then he decided to create his own domain yeah. that was in uh, Dernacoyette. Yeah. And uh, another village, I don't remember the name, next mm -hmm. to Dernacoyette. And then a little bit same story as with uh, Casot de Mayol. He was in love and the woman left him, mm -hmm. uh, sadly. Mm -hmm. So he sold everything, and he went to Banyuls. Mm. So he had two lives, two domains. One yeah. here, yeah. where he made amazing wines. He was the first to do natural wines without Corbiere. sulfites yeah. in the Corbière. Yeah. So he, has a very, he had a very interesting approach of what was the wine in Languedoc, generally speaking. Yeah, absolutely. And he died in his vines, which is the most beautiful thing. He called me the day before. Crazy. The day before. He yeah. was... He, he was supposed to, to, to deliver some wine, yeah. and then he passed away. So there goes your allocation. <laughs> yeah, my allocation was, <laughs> but, uh, but I kept the one from the year before, yeah, yeah. and I will drink them yeah, all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I will not speculate on that. No, that's, that's, that's the honor code. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I noticed even, even briefly before we came to sit here in, on the shelves in, in, in uh, in Café de Sport, a lot of labels that I don't recognize at all. You know, have you, have you found a lot of new uh, new estates to work with here that you haven't worked with before? Oh yes, clearly I try to work with the people around. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, of young winemakers. It's happening a lot in the Corbière. Yeah. Uh, more in Villeneuve. Uh, really? Durban. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of wine. Mm -hmm. Even in Paderne we have... Uh, Marius, I don't know if you tasted his wines. I don't think so. No. Marius Long. No, never. He's, uh, he worked yeah. one year, he did the school in uh, Bourgogne, mm -hmm. Burgundy. And then he worked one year with Fabrice, yeah. where he really was uh, attired by the yeah. real natural wine yeah, yeah. side. Mm -hmm. And not I, I the natural wine so if, uh, <laughs> if you're working with Fabrice. Voilà. Yeah. And then he worked one year with Cyril Fall. Mm -hmm. And then he established, this year is his second vintage. Wow, amazing. And he... He's really good, okay. really talented. Drink so a bottle of lunch to him. That, that, there's yeah. many, there's yeah. many. So like I, I honestly, like, well, I mean, I mentioned that this is only the second time that I've visited Padern, and uh, I, I, I spend so much time in the Ero, in the, like, around, well, kind of between Bézier, Bédarieux, yes. Pézenas, around yes. there, because... Absurgini des Fleurs, Well, yeah, we're also Jeffrey. I, and I've been, you know, harvesting and making wine at Clofontine, well, just made... Clofontine have kindly been allowing me to make a little wine on the side for wow. two years now. Great. So, um, but uh, but it's crazy. I mean, it's just it's just an hour's drive away, but roughly. But uh, I don't get over here often enough. And it really you do. It's interesting. You do feel the microclimates along the Mediterranean. Even um, coming from Montpellier today, where I imagine you must have a little more of kind of like a, a Mistral drying effect or something around there. A little bit more of the after aftershocks of that or after effect. And then you you get over to. You know, around around Bézier, it was extremely, Here extremely it's crazy, humid. crazy, 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 lot of wind. Yeah, which is really like good for yeah. for us for not treating too much. Yeah, the vines, mm -hmm. but uh, but it can 
really become really tiring after a, a week of like hard wind. Yeah, and do they, like do they have a name much. for the wind here? Sorry? Do they have a name for the wind here? They have many names, many yeah. names. And uh, there is there's even a song that was written by a fantastic uh, French uh, musician called Claude Nougaro, okay. who was an uh, extraordinary musician. He did a lot of jazz, mm -hmm. Claude Nougaro. And he was living the, the, the end of his life in a tiny village next to Padern called Paziol. Paziol, okay. Yeah. And he made a song on the wind here. Um, about the wind here. About the wind, yes. And, uh, I mean, I, I guess I, I, I guess I had a, kind of a mistaken, a mistaken impression of the ode in that I, in that I thought, like, I mean, it, would you, would you say it's generally warmer, even warmer here than, in, or it's been hotter and less rainfall than, like? No, we no. are lucky in Padern. It was famous. The ancient told me that Padern, when there was a lot of vines, mm -hmm. was very famous for white wine. Really? Because it's a little bit more cooler. Yeah. Because okay. we are near to Bigarache. Yeah. Not far from from this side that is really cooler. So we get the winds and the humidity yeah. and the cold from there. Okay. We have cold nights, mm -hmm. which they don't have in the Pyrenees Orientales, yeah, yeah. which they don't have in uh, in the center of yeah. the Corbière. Yeah, yeah. So the we diurnal temperature shift. Is we have at least yeah. three weeks difference on uh, picking grapes. Really? So when when do when roughly do you think you'll start this year? Uh, this year I'll start the third of September mm -hmm. with the whites. Yeah, and here do you find much terret here, or is it mostly Macabeu? Uh, here is the land of Macabeu. Yeah, I have a little vine of uh, Marsan. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, why, but it was maybe fashion uh, in the yeah. 70s or 60s to to have uh, had too much and Marsan here. <laughs> Oh, so, you, so you do have some whites this year? Yes, I have Fantastic. a tiny Macabeu, a tiny, tiny uh, Marsan, mm -hmm. and I will try to do a white with the two grapes. Nice. And uh, to, get, to get back to a little bit uh, of, of, uh, to your Paris years, just to stay on, stay on theme vaguely, uh, I guess one of the reasons why you know I, why I thought it would be interesting to talk to to to, to yourself and or to you and to and to the other uh, subjects on the season is that um uh, obviously natural wine has has changed so much it's become a, a you know a, a, a really uh, now we find natural wine in just about every major city around the world whereas you know probably in in the early two thousands that that wasn't so much the case you know. Um, do you, do you remember for yourself uh, like a, a point de déclic, or they say like a moment of discovery, um, when you decided that you that this was something really worth getting behind and focusing upon and emphasizing and promoting? Well, it's uh, completely. I fell in love with natural wine, like you, like many people. Totally, I even quit hard drugs for natural wine. Mm -hmm. In the early 2000, I quit everything for natural wine. Mm -hmm. Natural wine became my new drug, my yeah. new thing, my new. Mm -hmm because I believed so much in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I tried to pass on, as I said before, the good word to young people to make them understand the importance of natural wine and why it tastes different and why it's better for you, etc., etc., and so on. Kids don't do drugs, do natural wine. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That was my message for yes. many years. Mm -hmm. And to my own kids, too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but you, but you, I think... When we spoke once before, you did mention that, like, um, you mentioned, like, you you were you were into wine already when when you know when you got into natural wine. You you had kind of more of a classical wine background to begin with, no? Yes, yes, I was lucky enough to have a classic background, and I was a very much, uh, I was a very good friend of a family in Burgundy called La Famille Renard, mm -hmm. and they were a beautiful family. They still are, uh, Jean Pierre the father and Sacha the the son, and uh, Jean Pierre was giving a lot of advice in very important domains. Mm -hmm in Burgundy, the most important domains. And Sacha, at the time, was uh, the caviste at the Revue des Vins de France. Mm -hmm. And we did so many degustations together, and so then... What does it mean to be caviste at Revue des Vins de France? Do they have, like, their own private cellar, and he's yes. administrating the private cellar? Exactly. Okay. okay. They, 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 he, take, he took care of all the wines coming, like, all the winemakers... For the professional tastings that they would host? Exactly. Okay. All the, the, 
all the winemakers who would um, send for free mm-hmm. wine to the Rovide yeah. Vin France uh, to so the, hope to the ideal be inside. Caviste, the ideal Cavite's voilà. job, everything's free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just arrange the bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we had uh, so that I, I had a classic background with wine, mm-hmm. which is important, I think, because you need to know your appellations, you need to know your grapes varieties, you need to know, you know, a little bit history of of wine in France that is so important and so big. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, I, th- I mean, I think that that's sort of what makes what, what makes you you an interesting figure in this story of natural wine in Paris as well is that, you know, coming from, you know, you. You, as you say, you know, you value a, a, a classic background in, in, you know, in, in what, a, what's the way wine has always been studied. But, uh, but you were really a, a figure of, of, uh, you know, in the sense, one of the, I'd say, uh, along with Jean-Pierre Robineau, uh, one of the, you know, the first people in Paris to begin insisting on zero suffitage, zero filtration, on, uh, on, a, on, a, on a more radical expression of natural wine. Yeah, I think I was a bit radical at the time, but I still am now, so it's the way I am. I am a bit uh, obsessed with real natural wine, and I'm a bit uh, worried with the new natural wine world that is coming, because I see, I have the chance at Café des Sports to have, uh, instead of Café des Alpes, I had no winemakers at all, because there were no winemakers' friends around. Mm -hmm. Here, every lunch, every dinner, I have half of the clientele are winemakers. Mm -hmm because there's so many around. Yeah. And I see so many young winemakers that do not natural wine, but that... that like 80%? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like you say, like, uh, like, like um, Gilad Zoni would say, uh, nature molcar. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you say in English. Yeah, like uh, three quarters natural. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that obsesses me because I'm no, I don't agree with that because they, they want to do natural wine but they don't do natural wine and then they sell it like if it was natural wine. They don't want souris, they don't want volatile, they don't want any defaults. They want the wine to be perfect right away, to be shipped at the other end of the world and to make money with it. And yeah. I don't agree with that. Yeah, it's unrealistic expectations. Voilà. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's, and that's if they manage to sell it. I feel like I, so often you find... You find winemakers who are just you know finding their footing and of course it's a difficult time when you're just starting out and you know money's never easy but if you're just you know they find themselves between you know as, as the french say between two chairs entre deux chaises you know like they don't get the natural wine market and they're still too messy for the for the the lamo conventional market so they get, they don't please anybody but, and just by fear yeah. But I I understand the ones who are really correct and put it on their etiquette. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, that's correct. If you put on the etiquette what you're doing, Mm -hmm. then it's fine. But if you don't put it on the etiquette and you do like, I am natural, but you're not, then I'm not fine with that. And uh, I understand the pressure that it can be for a young winemaker that takes over six, seven, eight acres and that he has a bank beside and he needs to... He's afraid of losing wine, he's afraid of losing money, and I can understand and respect that mm-hmm. totally. But I'm happy with this new rule that will be in next year mm-hmm. in France, apparently, mm-hmm. where you have to put everything, ingredients on that the is, egg, all yeah. the ingredients that yeah. you have in your wine, you have to put on your label. And that is a good news. I, I mean, I feel like I've been hearing about that for so long. I mean, I, be, I, I believe it when I see it. If that actually comes to pass, if this occurs, that'll be hilarious, that'd be wonderful. But. Yeah. You would have cut bar everywhere. I, I, is, there, is there really going to be? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, I still find myself. It's, it's difficult to believe that that, would, that people they would actually put that into action. You know, I don't know. We'll see. I feel like it's, it could get subverted in many ways. But, but um, yeah. And so uh, and so yes. You know, from the from the beginning, you know, like I think. Uh, I, uh, it, it was a it was a very powerful stand to take, uh, and a controversial one, particularly in the early two thousands, uh, to say that you know no, I, I really want one hundred percent natural wines, um, and I mean were, were there times, I guess it, I guess it helps that your restaurant was quite small at the time, you know, like, <laughs> how many how many meters squared was La Cremerie? Like, yeah, it was no. La Crèmerie <laughs> was not 100% natural. La Crèmerie was Burgundy oriented in the beginning, oh, really? and then natural wine arrived, oh. and then it was Burgundy and natural wine, uh-huh. and then at Racine, 
So like, was, like, um, like most New York natural wine restaurants. Yeah. Natural and expensive wines. I wine. always loved Burgundy yeah. wines and it was the concept in the beginning, so I yeah, did yeah. not want to, to just throw it away. Yeah, yeah. Voilà. But then Racine was Throughout 100% natural. Yeah. We had Boger, we had Brignot, we yeah. had Courtois, no sulfati Courtois. Yeah. We had only wines 100% mm -hmm. natural at Racine yeah. uh, when we were working. Uh, and the best years, the best year, because it was very short, was the year we spent with Sven mm -hmm. in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Sven Chartier. Yeah. Uh, later of Saturn. Yes. yes. And Ewen. And Ewen Lemoigne, later of Saturn and both wow. of, uh, and Clan Bar, and who is now at La Cave des Papis. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yes. So many acolytes, Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's normal. Yeah. And, uh, do you think? Uh, do you, I mean, do you think now, now that you're based in Bretagne, you've, you've taken on vines. Do, you're not going to sell those vines two years down the road and move to a different region. No. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I will spend uh, the next ten years of my life here, mm -hmm. uh, taking care of this house that is huge, taking care of my vines, trying to become a humble, simple little winemaker. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I told you before, we started the interview. I have 35 years of restaurant business in my in my legs, so mm -hmm. I start to be a little bit tired of that Imagine. work, even though I still love it so much. You could get one of those people movers, you know, those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So just, just a suggestion. <laughs> no, I think I will keep the Café des Sports, and I will try to put there uh, some young people that have talent, and I will be their best, their best customer. Mm -hmm. So like a, like what they say in French is gérants or like kind of or, or, or like a, so like you have seasonal teams that come in and then they have creative exactly leeway because I think it's so amazing now with mm -hmm. uh, you have the bad side and the good side of Instagram and the good side one of the good side of Instagram is that the food went so much higher and quality and 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 uh, and culturally open to other techniques and other mm -hmm. countries and other recipes. And thanks to the social media, the young chefs and the young people now are, are ils ont une panel tellement important yeah. de création beaucoup plus qu'avant quoi. Yeah, they can, they can see a lot more different things. So, and it's true, like with with things like with, with like cooking, you know, like I mean, the visuals are huge. You know, yeah. I mean, if if I'm going to some town that I don't know anything in it, I'll look, I'll just Google, I'll I'll just look at the various restaurants and just look at their plates, and you can instantly tell whether it's of any interest whatsoever just exactly. by how things are plated. Yeah, exactly. Like, except true, except yeah. our good friend, <laughs> La Marante. Oh well, that is the for I, I, me the best restaurant in Paris, I, I, or I, one of, of the best. Christophe, Christophe Philippe, but he's not good with Instagram uh, pictures. But who cares? <laughs> what is important true. is what is in your yes. mouth. Yeah, yeah, and his talent. Yes, definitely. But I mean, that's an interesting. That's an interesting. You bring up an interesting point in the sense that, um, did you, when in the course of your career, you know, in, in Paris, did you? Well, Instagram started what two thousand eleven? No, when, when did Instagram? Yeah, something like, something like that. Something like that. I don't, yeah, I might have. Yeah, I think it was eleven or twelve. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah. Um, but then also, I mean, and then, I mean, oftentimes when I'm speaking with natural wine importers around the world, often people will cite around like. 14, 15, or 16 as being these years when suddenly it was just this explosion of interest. Uh, and same from, from winemakers as well. For you, did you, did you see as, like, did you feel a moment where, like, suddenly there was a different clientele? Suddenly the clientele were more informed or they had different ideas or... I think Instagram is a great, uh, is a great outil tool, is yeah. a great tool for, for a restaurateur. Mm -hmm. Uh, because before Instagram, most of the restaurateurs that were in Paris, they needed uh, uh, the press yeah. to be there. They needed <laughs> uh, all the press system to yeah. to help them and to make uh, papers mm -hmm. to 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 do so that clients would come and, and reserve they, they be, the, the restaurants. The restaurateurs became experts at giving out free meals. Exactly. I've, I've worked for someone like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know. I know who you're talking. <laughs> But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Instagram was a revolution. My daughter Zoe, she she put me on Instagram in 2013, mm -hmm. and uh, it became a revolution for me because I, I I don't need a press to be there for me. I don't need the fooding. I don't mm -hmm. need nobody. Yeah. I just open a restaurant. Everybody knows, 
And exactly. eventually, if my work is okay, they will come and come back. Yeah. No, so it's good. It's the, the democratization of you know of the media in terms of in letting you know restaurants communicate directly with their clients is fantastic. Yeah, in that regard, it is. Um, would you say there have been any drawbacks to uh, to the uh, to the Instagram era? In what a, is drawbacks? A drawback, the bad sides. Ah, bad side. Yeah. Oh yes, there are many. Uh, it's a drug. <laughs> Some people are completely yeah. uh, attirés, uh, aspirés, uh, aspired, they're, they're in, in, inhaled yeah, by, by yeah, Instagram yeah. and by their yeah. phone. So this is the, the the worst thing. You need to to be able, I think, and I speak for myself also, to 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 put that aside uh, sometimes in the day and read a book and and do something else because we're going to become all so stupid if we continue living so close to our phones yeah i mean let me say that like it's 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 something about like in terms of optical health like it's important to be sometimes walking around in just kind of vistas where you can see th where your eyes are obliged to focus on like a distant mountain you know so in in that way like even even like a a, a very hemmed in block in a city is like is like a, an iphone screen in some way you know like it's a, you're still focus on just what's directly directly in front of you and going out to the countryside and then constantly you know your eyes are constantly focusing on the far ground the middle ground the for you know the, the close-ups and apparently it's good for your eyes that's what they tell me yeah yeah i agree totally well so how do you like the wine beautiful really yeah i mean, I mean it's, it's I, I, like you've, it's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot still in suspension like despite being bottled in so yeah. i mean it's still working you can tell it's, it's still, still working. yeah it's still working it's like I'm not, I was trying to think earlier, like what it, like in terms of stylistically, what it reminded me of. Like there's there's a little bit of a, kind of like an, like, an oddly ferrous note, like a rust note, like in it, which I, I want to say is like. Hmm. I I see what you mean. And it's I, I think it's, I think it's like an oxidative stage that that it'll come out of, that mm. kind of like. That like really like ferrous iron rust, you know? mm -hmm. like. But thank you so much for sharing it, and thank thank you for thank you for having us here on this beautiful overcast, windy day in Padern. <laughs> oh, we're lucky with the wind today. The wind can be so not too intense. strong. Yeah. No, no, well, I mean, they say Narbonne, which is not super near here, but it's still sort of near here. That's that's the windiest city in France, from what I understand. Yeah, it's one hour, yeah. one hour driving. Are there are there natural wine places in Narbonne? In, in Narbonne? Not so many. Yeah, that's not. There's one or two, but not so interesting. Okay. Perpignan again is yeah, really Perpignan's interesting. Yeah, where it's at. Yeah. yeah. Someone told me there's a very big buffet restaurant in. Yeah, in, les in grands buffets. Yeah. Les grands buffets. Is, 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 like is, like is it worth experiencing? For an American, for sure. <laughs> Because it's crazy. It's like the biggest uh, cheese um, biggest buffet cheese in France. Buffet in France. Okay. So it's, uh, it's yeah. Why, why would they put that in the Languedoc? You'd think everything would just like melt instantly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the story. Yeah. So basically, as, from what I've heard, it's, it's correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I haven't been, but maybe you haven't either. But it's like it's a uh, it's just like a gigantic all-you-can-eat buffet of French classics. Exactly. Yeah. You have everything you can imagine from the French classics. So it's sort of like the was it. Uh, didn't, I mean, I imagine he still does it, but Thierry, Thierry Breton, he did his Traumad thing at Chez Casimir, where it was just like, cleared out the kitchens of his three restaurants and his all-you-can-eat brunch of, like, Brittany food. Which is, it's a little bit odd to be eating all-you-can-eat shellfish on a Sunday, clearing out the kitchens of the three restaurants, so, you know, take that, <laughs> take your life in your hands, but, <laughs> but it was always fun. Is he still there, Thierry Breton? Oh, he's still around Paris, absolutely, oh. yeah. He's still got, I mean, he's still got all three restaurants. still I mean, baking? still baking, yeah. Still, I mean, I last saw him during that a very brief, brief stint with my, my friend Maza Ikuta uh, on a rooftop in the Marais. I helped him open a restaurant for three months. Yeah, I remember. Yes, that was a disaster. Not, not due to Maza entirely. And, uh, but uh, Thierry, Thierry would deliver a spread that the owner, of course, wouldn't pay for. Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, no, that was that was really that was like a like the Pifranco in London a little bit. I oh, heard. Really? Uh, oh, I don't know. I, I didn't hear anything about that. They didn't pay the the, the, the suppliers for years or um, months. I mean, I, I, as I understand, the rest it's it's op it's reopened, but there's some kind of new configuration. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, 
here's the new configurations. <laughs> and uh, don't do drugs, don't do natural <coughs> wine. Exactly. <laughs> Clearly. And stop smoking, because I still smoke. I do too, I just left them in the car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I smoke gitane, but if you want... No, I, I like the American spirits. Okay. Yeah. To go back to your wine again briefly, uh, were the vines that you were able to take over, were they already organic? Uh, they were kind of organic because they, they had no treatments uh, since 10 years, so they are organic, but nobody took really care of them, so now they need a lot of love. Mm -hmm. The problem here in the Corbière is that you have two schools in the, in the um, viticulture in France, uh, organic viticulture. You have the school of not uh, working the land, which is fantastic in the northern France, like for example... Um, my friend in Savoie, you know, uh, Aurelien? No, um, he's in Auvergne. No, Aurelien <laughs> is in Auvergne, sorry, that's my other friend. Uh, you know, from the, from the Jura family, uh, Corentin Houillon. Okay, yes. My friend Corentin Houillon is completely no interventionist on the soils. He mm -hmm. doesn't touch the soil, yes. which is totally doable from what I understood now there, but not here because you have so much concurrence here around the vines uh, by competition competition sorry that you need to work the soil you need even if it's but not very deep that's literally what it's, that's literally what the people in the north say about the south they say that there's all oh, there's people in the south who manage to do permaculture but here in the north it's impossible because there's, so, there's, more, there's more rain there's so more much more competitive competition of grass i mean exactly is, is, really is, yeah, they say that. that's what the north says about the south yeah so there's a war a little bit yeah, between so. the two yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so you, are you Fabrice on, are, tried for many years not to work the soils, yeah. and then he realized that if he continues not working the soils, eventually were, everything's going to die. Mm -hmm. It was just getting more, more and more feeble. Exactly. Yeah. So the woods are thinner and thinner and thinner and mm -hmm. thinner. Yeah. So you need to work the soil so that you give them, so that they go and, and get everything and they have no concurrence. Competition. Competition. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, like... Um, I had a conversation recently, uh, well, not, it wasn't super recently, but uh, like my friend Jean Purcell, who does Van Noe. Yes. Um, he took over uh, some parcels from another friend called uh, Jean-Jacques Morel, mm -hmm. um, who kind of unbeknownst to most people, I think, at the time, because he didn't really talk about it for fear of being ostracized, but he was doing organic permaculture in Burgundy. Uh, in, with a parcel in pouligny mont rocher and Saint-Aubin, wow. which is, I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's just wild. I mean, nobody was doing organic permaculture in, you know, in the, in the 2000s in, in Burgundy at that, at that time. I think nobody is anymore Still. today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and, I mean, so it was an incredible heritage of, uh, of you know, vegetal matter and of, and of, and of, and of parcel and of soil that, that John... That John inherited john decided to go back to light you know scratching of the soil here and there throughout the season um not nothing nothing invasive or deep or anything but just and it was again it was kind of like what you were saying it was a it was a question of vigor he was just seeing just no vigor and uh and that was that was what worried him for that yeah so i mean i think it's I know, we, we as humans we have this binary you know, binary way of looking things. We're inclined towards thinking that either just one or just the other is good. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's I, I, I dream. I wish I was born 200 years ago when you had not the the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the where you couldn't treat. You know, you you didn't treat. Yeah. You didn't treat the vines because yeah. no phylloxera. And no phylloxera means no mildew and no oidium. Yeah. Because all these diseases come from America. Yeah. We love America, yeah, yeah. but they come We're a disease. from. We're basically they a disease. come from from this phylloxera yeah. who destroyed <laughs> completely our our terroir yeah, yeah, and yeah. also brought this new disease yes, that exactly, we have yeah. to deal with. Yeah, and, I mean uh, it's complicated. Well, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways to to approach the problem. I mean, some say that it was dealt with in the wrong way initially in terms of just in the, this this idea of the non-sexual reproduction of the vine for thousands of years is is ultimately unsustainable. They were going to come from somewhere these these pests, because we you know the vine the vines have not been able to miscegenate you know and you know and there has been no natural selection on vines essentially you know or very little. Um, I don't know. I mean to go back to but to go back to the, the to the conversation about working soils not working soils. It is. I mean I think it's super super important for the south of France particularly because the lack of rainfall in so many areas. I mean, 
Like, uh, I, I know Jeff Kutlou was telling me he got almost nothing this whole this whole season. It's crazy. And I mean, happily, his vines are, are well implanted and they're still surviving, but like, it's not been good. Um, you should go speak to Tom Lube also. Yeah, no, I've, Very I've, I've, I've been to speak to oh, he's great. Yeah. Very interesting guy. Yeah, at the moment I'm reading, I'm reading the last book he recommended to me. But yeah, he, uh, I, th I think, um, I mean, like, I know with, I, I've, I've, I've been, you know, spending a lot of time with Clo Fontaine uh, in, the, in recent years, and they, they stopped plowing in 2014, for example. Um, they have nothing but great things to say about okay. about that regimen, that regimen there on fairly thin schist soils in, okay. uh, in Faugere. Okay. Um, at the same time, they don't expect very high yields at all. I mean, they do 10 to 12 hectoliters per hectare. They want just top quality, that's all. Yeah. It's, I mean, then I think it's not really how they rationalize it. They're really, I mean, in terms of when you listen to Corinne talk about it, she's, she's really like, you know, about the health of the plant and about the, the, the it's, they're, they're not, they're not aiming for extraction or, 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 or pristine, pristine grapes, you know, or, you know, in, for them in and of themselves, you know? Um, I mean, I guess, who else can we think of in France that is doing no plowing whatsoever? Um, I mean, I know, uh, like, well, Didier Barral is doing Rolofaka, you know, um, laying down the herbs. So is, I think, I'm not sure, if Olivier Cohen, I know he was doing the Rolofaka, but I think he was using a disc or something to kind of mess with it. Uh, but who else? I mean, in terms of, well, Romuald Vallot in uh, the Beaujolais. Mm -hmm. It's very hands-off, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's it's definitely a frontier of something. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is a big question. Yeah, and depending on the terroir, on the soil, on where we yeah. are, but here it's difficult. It's I mean, very, I guess with your difficult. with your with 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 the kind of quantities you're working with, I mean, you made you said 250 bottles in 2022, yeah. and maybe it'll be a, a little over a thousand in 2023. Exactly. But uh, but um, are you are you calculating in terms of fields? Are you are you saying like we got this much, you know, hectoliters per I hectare? I have the chance to be a tiny, 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 tiny winemaker producer, and I I, I like also to work uh, without pump, without electricity, uh, all hand because it's tiny, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I also have the lâcher prise. Yes, I don't want to know and do uh, and send to a laboratory. I, I don't I don't care. I don't yeah. give a shit for that. Mm -hmm. I just want to do my wine with my feeling and with my heart yeah. and with my work, mm -hmm. and I hope it's good. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of that's, that's kind of I, I can empathize entirely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not even like uh, Fabrice. That is a real master for me. Fabrice is like, uh, he's he's really a real winemaker for me because mm -hmm. he he puts so much work and and uh, devotion to to his work that it's crazy completely. And he could uh, build a house for his family and build a domain that is now world famous. And, and the house is now built. Yeah. From what I hear. Yeah. 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 So it was almost I, built when I visited. Like, Chapeau, yeah. as, we, as we say in yeah. France. Hats off to him. Hats yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Well, thank you. Thank you again for for the addendum to this podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you, Aaron. My pleasure. All right.